Hello, people. Hey, good to see you all. Uh, in 1994, Tom Hanks said something, yeah, Tom Hanks, uh, said something that has become one of the most quoted movie lines ever in American cinematic history. Maybe you can guess. He said, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You see, for Forrest Gump, the character that Tom Hanks plays, life is a mystery. Who really knows what you're going to get? But Forrest Gump's opinion is not the only opinion. In fact, I, I did a quick internet search, and there are all sorts of ideas. There are all sorts of metaphors out there about what life is like. Here are a few. Life is short. Smile while you still have teeth. Okay. Life is like a piano. What you get depends on how you play it. Life is like an onion. You peel it off one layer at a time, and sometimes you weep. Life is like a bar of soap. Once you think you've got a hold of it, it slips away. Life is like a camera. Just focus on what's important. Capture the good times. Develop from the negatives. And if things don't turn out, well, take another shot. See, what would, what would you say? What do you think? If someone came up to you, life is like what? What do you think the Bible would say? How would the Bible answer that question? What is life like? Look at Hebrews 12, first two verses. The author says this. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, just before this this verse, this author has been talking about men and women, Christian men and women, exemplars of the faith, these great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. One of the prevailing metaphors that we see throughout the Bible is that life is a race. Your life is a race, a race that has a start and a finish, a race that's going to take perseverance and endurance and determination in order to finish well. And you see, one of the things about the Bible, one of the things that the Bible isn't shy about is telling us that this race that God has marked out, notice that it's not a random race. God has marked it out specifically for you. But the Bible says that this race, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. Running in the way that God calls us to run, it's not going to come natural. It's not always going to be convenient. See, God says to run the race, it's going to take work. It's going to take hard work, training, discipline. But I think if we're honest, we don't always like that. We don't always like to hear that, do we? You see, instead of running with perseverance, instead of running with endurance and determination, we want something else. We just want to do enough to get by. We want as little resistance as possible. Frankly, sometimes we just want to coast. I'll be a dork for a second and admit that last week I was reading um, 
popular mechanics. And uh, while I was doing so, a headline caught my eye. And in big, bold letters, it asked the question. It says this. It says, does coasting downhill save gas? Right? Kind of classic question. The idea that if you put your car into neutral and coast down a hill as far as you can until you lose momentum, that you're going to save gas. And if you're saving gas, you're saving money. It sounds really good, right? Except it's not really true. You see, as it turns out, according to popular mechanics, coasting downhill in neutral, it doesn't save gas, it doesn't save money at all. And they said that the logic is flawed. Why? Well, here's what they said. They said that whenever your vehicle is in neutral, it consumes a a steady rate of gas. It doesn't matter if your car is sitting in neutral at a stoplight or if it's in neutral going down a hill. The engine uses the same amount of fuel. I know this is kind of dorky. Just, Just hang with me. But when your car is in gear, they said, your engine is designed to know to alter the amount of fuel that it needs to keep the engine going. And so when you're driving downhill in gear, your engine knows that it needs less gas. And as it turns out, it needs less gas than the baseline amount of gas that your car uses when it's idling in neutral. And so the point is that you're actually wasting gas by putting your car into neutral and coasting down a hill. Myth busted. But the article goes on, and it goes on to make the point that not only is the logic of the coasting in neutral saves gas argument flawed, they say that coasting in neutral is actually really dangerous. It's a safety hazard. Why? Well, because when you throw your car into neutral, you disable your accelerator. Similarly, your engine loses contact with the drivetrain, and your power steering is disabled. Of course, you can still steer, but it just becomes more difficult. And so the point is that though it doesn't seem like it, coasting in neutral is actually really dangerous because you can't use the accelerator, you can't use your power steering in the event that something runs out in front of you, in the event that there's a road hazard that you don't expect. So why am I telling you this? Well, it's not because I'm a car geek. Uh, If you could see the crappy car that I drive, you would for sure know that. No, it's because God in our passage tonight, God wants all of us to see that just like coasting in neutral downhill is dangerous, so too is it dangerous for us when we coast in the race of the Christian life. Now, we need to step back and ask, what does it look like to coast? What does that mean? So for some of us in here, coasting means being passive with our Christianity, It means not fighting sin, not having hard conversations, maybe turning a blind eye to something that's actually a really big deal. For others of us in here, coasting might mean coming to Veritas because this is where your friends are, but not because you actually care about learning something about God. Maybe coasting for you means being bored with Veritas, bored with church, bored with your small group. You think you've heard it all before, and you don't really have anything new to learn. See, for a lot of us, coasting in the Christian life means we're just going through the motions. We're just doing stuff. There's no real desire to grow. There's no real desire to change the way that we're living. You see, it might not seem like it, but the Bible wants us to see that coasting is dangerous. 
We all do it at times, don't we? I mean, I do it. I would imagine you do it. But why? Why do we coast? So tonight we're, gonna, we're continuing our series through the book of Philippians. And, and as we do, Paul, the author, he, he's going to address that very question. Why do we coast? So let's do this. Let's read the entire passage and then um, we'll break it down together. So this is Philippians 3, 12 through 21. This is what Paul says. He says, not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join, me, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Remember, who is Paul writing to? He's writing to the church in Philippi, and it's actually the first church that Paul planted in Europe. And so these are people that Paul cares about. These are people that Paul loves deeply, people that Paul longs to see as he's sitting in a prison cell. And by God's grace, Paul knows that this church, despite all the challenges they've had and the conflict that they've had to endure, he knows that this church seems to be doing pretty well. They're running the race that God has marked out for them. But Paul knows that they, just like us, will be tempted at some point to start coasting, to let up. And so Paul writes these words in this passage to challenge them. He writes these words to encourage them, to remind them that there's more work to be done. So for the rest of our time tonight, I want to do this. I want to look at two reasons that the Philippians and us, two reasons we're tempted to coast. Two reasons that you and I, if not now, someday are tempted to downshift into neutral in the race of the Christian life. The first is this. The first reason we coast is we coast because of how much of the race we've already run. What do I mean by that? In other words, we look at our lives and we think, you know what? I'm doing all right. Right? I've got a lot of momentum going in my life right now. So what does that look like? You feel connected to God. You go to church, you go to Veritas regularly, you spend time reading your Bible, you're in a small group, you have Christian friends, people who challenge and encourage you. Maybe you're a leader in some sort of ministry, whatever it is, because of the things that we've done or because of the things that we're doing, because of how much of the race that we've already run, we're tempted to think that downshifting into neutral and coasting is not a big deal. But the Bible says that it is. The Bible teaches us that it's dangerous. 
2015 Pepsi Team Invitational. A runner for the Oregon Ducks learns this message the hard way. Let's watch. Take my word for it. There's a moral to this story. Yeah, it looked like a coronation for Tanche Pepio. He's getting the crowd. He wants the crowd to cheer his performance. And at the end, he gets pipped. He gets pipped by Marin Simon of Washington. And you just can't do this kind of stuff, Lewis. You can't. And you know, you see his face, and you know no one has to say anything. They don't have to explain it to him. He'll never make that mistake again. Whoops. Don't coast, right? See, to be an elite runner, it takes hours of training. It takes hard work during practice. It takes determination in the weight room, disciplined eating habits, adequate amounts of sleep. But none of that matters if you coast in the race. None of the work that you put into getting there matters if you actually coast when it counts. Now, if anyone could coast, if anyone in life could celebrate everything that he had accomplished, everything that he had done, it was the Apostle Paul. Maybe you were here last week at Veritas, and you remember something that, that Austin helped us to see. Look at what Paul says about his accomplishments, the things that he had done in his life. Philippians 3, 4 through 6. Paul says, if anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. You see, Paul could have easily looked at his life. He could have easily said that everything that he had done in the past, everything that he was doing was sufficient for the future. He could have easily let off the accelerator. But notice that that's not what Paul does. Paul does something completely different. Look back at verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, despite all the good that Paul had done, Paul knows that he's not perfect. He too struggles to live life in a fallen world. He sins like you and I. And despite the distance that Paul has already run, he knows that he hasn't arrived. He knows that there's more work to do, more of the race left to run. And so he presses on. He strains forward. And notice what motivates Paul. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. See, what Paul is saying is that he presses on, he strains forward, he continues running the race, he fights the temptation in his life to coast as a response, as a response to what Jesus has done in his life. You see, Paul knew that Jesus had made him his own. Jesus has made me his own. Jesus has made you his own. Not because of anything we've done, not because of anything inherently good within ourselves, but purely because of his grace and his mercy. And because of that, you and I and anyone who puts their faith in Jesus can have assurance of God's love, of his affection, of his approval. You see, Jesus knows your faults. Jesus knows your failures. 
Jesus knows the choices you've made. Jesus knows your disappointments. And yet, if you put your faith in him, he delights to make you his own. He delights to make you his own. And so press on, Paul says. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes we, we, we stand up here and we talk about Christian maturity. This is what Christian maturity looks like. It means realizing that you have more work to do, realizing you have more ways to grow, realizing you have more of the race left to run. And so when Paul says, let those of us who are mature think this way, he's really saying the mature are always maturing. They realize they haven't arrived, and yet they're always straining forward. They're always pressing on. You see, Paul's encouraging the Philippians. He's encouraging us. Christ has made you his own. Don't coast. Don't look to your past. Don't look to your accomplishments, your achievements, but instead focus on what's left of the race that God is calling you to run. You see, I, I talk to college students all the time that use the rationale. This is, this is how it goes. Because Jesus has died on the cross, because Jesus has risen from the grave, Jesus forgives me for my sins, and so I can do whatever I want. It doesn't really matter how I live. Jesus did his thing. The hard part's over, and so now I can sit back and relax and have fun. See, maybe we don't want to admit that, but we all feel that temptation, don't we? Jesus has done his thing, and now I can do mine. I can just sit back and relax. I can coast. But Paul says the reality is the exact opposite. He says it's precisely because of what Jesus has done, because Jesus has made us his own, that you and I should be motivated to run the race, to press on, to continue in faith. So, Ask yourself, what ways are you tempted to coast because of how far you've already run? What accomplishments, what past achievements do you look to in order to kind of justify letting up in the race? Where do you buy into the false logic that says, because Jesus died and rose for me, I can live however I want? Some of us in here are tempted to coast because we look backwards by looking at how much we've how far we've come. But the second way that we're tempted to coast is the exact opposite. Instead of looking backwards, we look forward. We coast because of how much of the race that we have left, because of how far we still have to go. See, I, I know that for some of us, running the race of the Christian life, it feels overwhelming. It seems difficult. It seems so difficult that we actually start to believe that coasting, that letting up, is going to somehow make us happier than finishing the race. And so for some of us, maybe even some of us in here in this room right now, the hard work of running faithfully just doesn't seem worth it. The same thing was true for people that Paul knew. Look at 18 and 19 again. He says, for many of whom I've often told you, Philippians, and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross. Their end is 
destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. You see, with tears, not scorn, not judgment, with tears, Paul tells the Philippians that there are some, there are some in life whose coasting has led them down the path of destruction. There are some whose coasting has turned out so much that their God has become their stomach. They're giving over, they're giving themselves to their cravings, their desires. They find glory in things that should bring them shame. Their coasting has led them to delight in their sin. Now, if you think about it, we aren't much different, are we? You see, we too chase our cravings. We too chase our desires. We too delight in things contrary to God's intentions. Several years ago, I I met a guy on campus at Mizzou, and eventually this guy got involved with Veritas. And after being involved with Veritas for a while, he joined a small group. He he went to mission trips with us. Um, And this guy in particular, after after a while, a lot of people started seeing him as a leader of sorts, kind of in the, the Christian community around here. But one day, kind of seemingly out of nowhere, he decided, you know what, running the race of the Christian life just doesn't seem worth it anymore. So he stopped coming to Veritas, dropped out of his small group, didn't go to church, started drinking a lot on the weekends, eventually got sexually involved with a girl. I never saw him again. I, to this day, I have no idea where he is. See, I wish that was the only story in my 10 years of being on staff that, that I could think about like that, that I could share, but it's not. And those are the kind of stories that for me, for our staff, they keep us up at night, just like Paul. Stories that rip our hearts out because we know, we see the destruction that coasting brings in our lives. See, guys, I I know what it's like to be in college. I understand, I empathize with the challenges that you guys face when you try to run faithfully after God. I know the ways that you're tempted to believe that coasting in the Christian life, it's not that big of a deal. And that maybe it's even going to make you happier. But God says that it doesn't. And in fact, God says that it leads us down the path of destruction. See, here's the deal. Rarely, I don't know if ever, does anyone wake up and just say, you know what, I'm going to start coasting today. Nobody, nobody does that. Nobody wakes up and says, today is the day that I'm going to start coasting in the Christian life. See, oftentimes it starts with little things, little decisions. Decisions like hitting the snooze button instead of spending time with God. Skipping church because I stayed out too late the night before. Not coming to Veritas because there are other things I'd rather do. Not going to small group because... Gosh, they're kind of awkward. Little things like hiding things from your friends. You see, but soon these little things become bigger things, and they start to add up, and eventually we start soothing our consciences by saying that our choices are okay because God is just going to forgive us, and it's fine. And so we continue to use that rationale, and we start experimenting sexually. 
We become addicted to substances. We become addicted to pornography because of the feeling that we get from it. We cheat unashamedly on our homework and on our exams. We joke at the expense of other people. We gossip. We become less and less interested with other people and more and more interested in ourselves. All the while, God is becoming less and less relevant in our lives. See, I know, I know that coasting feels harmless. But the reality is, is that it brings destruction to our lives, whether or not we realize it, whether or not we want to admit it. That's precisely Paul, why Paul is imploring us to fight against it. And one of the ways that Paul says that we can fight against it is by following the example of others. Look at verse 17. It says, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. See, Paul knows something really important about running the race in the Christian life. We can't do it alone. See, Paul's not suggesting that he's perfect, but he is confident. He is confident enough in his own Christian walk to suggest that this church, the Philippians, they imitate him. They imitate other mature Christians. Paul knows that much of how we grow, much of the growth that happens in Christian life comes from learning from and imitating other Christians. And so you have to ask yourselves, are you trying to run the race alone? Who are the people in your life whose example that you're following? Maybe it's a peer, a friend who's further along in their faith. Maybe it's a small group leader. Maybe it's someone older, someone in the next phase of life, someone who just graduated. Maybe it's a pastor or a a Christian couple or a family in town that has invited you into their home just to spend time with them. See, sometimes I think that we're threatened by people further ahead of us, but Paul is saying we don't have to be threatened. We don't have to be insecure when other people are further ahead of us in the race. We don't have to be insecure. We don't have to be threatened because Paul tells us to learn from them, imitate them. You see, we can't run the race that God has marked out for us alone. We need other people to lead us. We need other people to guide us, especially in moments of weakness, in moments of temptation, in moments of trial, moments when it feels like, gosh, this just isn't worth it anymore. We need to run the race with other people. See, whether you're tempted to coast because you're looking back or whether you're tempted to coast because you're looking forward, Paul is encouraging every single one of us tonight to keep running. Why? What's the point? Look at 20 and 21. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. See, Paul says the goal of running the race is receiving the prize at the end. And the prize that awaits every Christian is none other than Jesus Christ for all eternity. That's heaven. See, our culture loves to perpetuate the notion in various ways that heaven is someday going to consist of a guy named St. Peter standing at a pearly white gate, granting wings to good people who spend eternity playing harps and floating on clouds. That sounds miserable. And it's not the biblical picture of heaven at all. 
See, Paul says that Jesus, one day, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back right here, this earth. And when he does, he's going to transform our lowly bodies to the pattern of his glorious resurrected body. And on that day, when Jesus returns, all of creation is going to be new creation. And Jesus is going to reign over his people, and we're going to worship him as he deserves. Death is going to be destroyed. Sin is going to be abolished. There's no longer tears or sorrow or pain. You see, our ultimate prize at the end of the race is an eternal inheritance with our Lord Jesus Christ. October 20th, 1968, Mexico City Olympics Stadium. It's beginning to get dark. An hour before, uh, the winner of the Olympic marathon had crossed the finish line. And since the race was essentially over, most of the people in the stadium started to leave. But as thousands of people are leaving, they start to hear sirens and whistles through the gate to get into the stadium. And the people that remained kind of shifted and turned their attention to that gate. And as they did, a solo figure wearing the colors of Tanzania came limping into the stadium. You can kind of see him down here in, in the bottom left. This man's name is John Stephen Aquari. And he, he comes into the stadium and he's hobbling, he's limping, because much earlier in the race he had fallen and hurt himself severely. And so he's running around the track, he's bleeding, he's, he's bandaged. And as he gets closer and closer to the finish, the stadium just starts roaring roaring. He finishes, people flock to him, reporters go to him. One reporter gets to him, asks the question that everybody's wondering. Everyone else is finished, hours ahead. Why didn't you quit? You're so hurt. You're so badly injured. You're so far behind. Why didn't you just give up? And Aquari looks at the reporter and he says, you know what? He says, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start the race. My country sent me to finish it. And so it is with God. God isn't calling you. He's not calling me to simply begin the race. No, he's calling you to finish it. He's calling you to throw off everything that hinders you, the sin that so easily entangles you, and to run with perseverance, fixing your eyes on Jesus as you do. So as the music team comes up, let me, let me close by asking just a couple questions. What is, it, what is it in your life that might keep you from running the race that God has marked out for you? What is it in your life that might keep you from finishing that race? Where are you tempted to coast? Where are you tempted to let off the accelerator, to let up? You see, what God is telling us tonight, he's saying, keep running. I know it's going to be hard, he says, but keep running. Sacrifice, serve, take risks for Jesus, fight against sin. Invest in a small group, even when it's hard. Get up early, read your Bible, spend time in prayer, come to Veritas regularly, join a church, find people's, people who you can follow their example, resist the temptation to coast. You see, it takes blood and sweat and tears for an athlete to gain an hour of human praise for winning a gold medal. 
What God offers in Jesus is more valuable than any gold medal, all the gold medals that you could ever imagine. And so press on. Run your race. Strain forward to what lies ahead because Jesus has made you his own. Jesus has made you his own. And the day is coming when you and I will be with him forever. Amen. Amen.